Let's pray. Oh Lord, as we come now to open Your Word and we see a widow who is in a very desperate place, Father, we may be in that same desperate place this morning. And we ask we would, that You would send Your Spirit to help us understand how You work for Your people and how Your kindness overflows to Your children. Lord, we ask that You'd bless the reading, hearing, and preaching of Your Word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, please do so. Take your copies of God's Word and turn with me here this morning to 2 Kings chapter 4. Second Kings chapter 4, we'll begin at verse 1 and read this morning to verse 7. Hear now the word of God. It is infallible. It is inerrant. It is God speaking to us, so let us pay close attention. Now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, but the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what have you in the house? And she said, your servant has nothing in the house except a jar of oil. Then he said, go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. And as she poured, they brought the vessels to her. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another. Then the oil stopped flowing. She came and told the man of God. And he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. And you and your sons can live on the rest. The grass withers and the flower fades away. But the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Last Sunday morning, we saw a rebellion, Moab rebelling against Israel. And we heard of the king of Israel, Jehoram, the son of Ahab. We heard of his half measures. Yes, he, he got rid of the pillar of Baal that his father had made, but yet he still clung to the, the idols and to the sin of Jeroboam. We then saw a coalition forming with Jehoram, the king of Israel, with Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, and even the king of Edom. And they came together to fight against Moab. And we saw the danger of the word of God, especially towards Jehoram. Elisha just flat out told him, if it were not for Jehoshaphat, I would not even talk to you. 
But then we heard God's promise to to those three kings, how He would fulfill His Word, how they would have the victory over Moab. And we saw that victory in full. And then we closed out last week with what it means to, to worship a pagan god. Again, our nation is now in a, a post-Christian time. We are reverting back to paganism. And if you want to see what that's all about, we saw last week the king of Moab sacrificing his son to his false gods and how that repelled Israel so much that they left the battlefield. Because even Israel as idolaters could not stand the sight of a son being put to death to appease a false god. And so we come this morning and we now enter into a segment of 2 Kings where it's all about Elisha, but more importantly, it is about the power of God working through Elisha. Again, Elisha is God's prophet now, having taken the place of Elijah. And through this section, we will see the power of God working through him. This morning, we see the the power of God and how it is triumphant over death. No, this is not a Dave Ramsey sermon, so don't worry. Later in this chapter, we will see God's power is triumphant over death. At the end of the chapter, we will see God's power triumphant over drought. And in chapter 5, we will see God's power triumphant over disease. And and in the first part of chapter 6, we will see God's power is triumphant over difficulty. But God is going to work through Elisha as He does this morning. This event happened in 840 B.C. And so why does God put this here? Why does He put it into 2 Kings? Well, quite simply, this is a a revelation to the remnant in Israel. That Israel's God and our God is the help of the helpless and the nameless. God is the help of the helpless and the nameless. And there are three things we we see and learn this morning. Uh, And the first we hear of the widow's desperation. She is not named in this passage. We do not know who she is other than that she was a widow and she was the wife of one of the prophets. In verse 1, now the wife of one of the sons of the prophets cried to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you you know that your servant feared the Lord. But the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. And so here was a woman in double desperation. She had lost her husband in death. And now she is about to lose her sons because she is in debt and she does not have the money to repay that debt. And, and so what, why was that important? Why would it be important for her to, or, or, or bad for her to lose her sons? Well, her sons were a means of support as a widow. They were her lifeline and, and they could not fulfill that role if they themselves are taken into slavery because of debt. They would have had to go and work 
off the debt. And it must, must have been a, a substantial debt. Because they did not have it, the money or the means to repay it. And so not only is she in double desperation, but she's also dealing with a little bit of aggravation to go along with her desperation. Here again what she said in verse 1, And you know, she cries to Elisha, that your servant was fearing God. But the creditor is coming. Her husband, this prophet, have been faithful to God. He'd been faithful to God in, in a time where the, the true worship of God was waning. And to be faithful to God, it, it cost them something. That might be why they were in debt. Here was this faithful prophet of God, and, and he dies, and they're left in debt. It, it, it may have been during the reign of, of Ahab and Jezebel when she tried to exterminate all of God's loyal prophets. But here was a man who stood up. He stood up against the idolatry of his day. He stood up against the false worship of his day. And now he's dead and the widow is left without a husband. With the possibility of her son's being taken from her. And so her family is facing a real disaster. And so she's desperate. She's aggravated. But she is also faithful. Now how do we know that? Well notice to whom she cries. She cries out to Elisha. The prophet of God. Her faith simply clings and, and simply informs. She just simply lays out what is going on for her and her family. She lays her problem before Elisha. And in so doing, she is laying that problem before God. And so she brings her troubles to God. And she brings it by way of Elisha. Now that tells us something we already know, that when we are, are facing difficulties, we should be going to God in, in prayer. God wants us to come to Him with all of our troubles, with all of our desperations, with all of our aggravations. He wants us to be faithful in the midst of those and, and bring them to His throne of grace. And so that's the first thing we see. We, we see a woman who is very desperate. But then second of all, we see God's patterns in working for His people in verses 2 through 6. E even in the, these little stories that we find here, next week will be a, a longer account. But even in, in these little accounts, our, our attention is drawn to God. Our attention to, is drawn this morning to what God is doing what he is revealing about himself and, and, and in what way and how he is acting. And so first of all, we know where, note where God begins. Verse 2. And Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me. What have you in the house? And she said, Your servant has nothing in the house except a jar 
of oil. That's all she had. She had a flask of oil. Now, the reply of this woman, as Elisha asked her that question, was meant not to indicate an absence of resource of resources and not the possibility. She has no idea what God is going to do. She has one flask of oil. That is a sign of, of her being in a state of poverty. And so as she states that, she is stressing the meagerness of anything she had or could offer to help herself out of that situation. She is desperate. She has no hope. And this is where God often begins His work, isn't it? God begins His work at the point of our desperation, but also at the point of our inadequacies. In other words, He makes us realize how hopeless the whole situation is. This is part of what God has done in our salvation, hasn't He? We, 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 we thought we could save ourselves. We thought we were good enough in our own works to, to come to God and offer all these things to Him. And, and then He humbles us. He shows us, no, there's nothing you can offer to God that will earn you any merit with God. And He humbled us. He showed us how bad we really were in sin. And at the same time, He was gracious to us because He did not leave us in that desperation or that despair. This woman's lack of resources reminds us of our lack of resources to come to Christ over our own street. We can't do it. God must be the one who works in us and through us and for us to bring us to Christ. And this is where God begins. He begins... When we are helpless and desperate. Then second of all, notice how God conceals what He is doing. In verse 3, Elisha said to her, Go outside, borrow vessels from all your neighbors, empty vessels, and not too few. Then go in and shut the door behind yourself and your sons, and pour into all these vessels. And when one is full, set it aside. So she went from him and shut the door behind herself and her sons. Now she did exactly how Elisha told her according to his instructions. Now it was not total secrecy because she had to go borrow some pots. She had to go borrow some, some pots from her neighbors. And so they knew something was going on and she she borrowed all their extra pot, uh, pottery and and then she went and she shut the door with her and her sons not even Elisha's there she shuts the door now sometimes God works in this way this tells us that sometimes God's mighty acts uh, are done in such a way that God does not want fanfare. He does not want public gaze or reports. Now our minds go to the Gospels. What do we see there? There were times before Jesus had set His face to Jerusalem that He did a great miracle. And what did He tell the person that He healed? Don't tell anyone. Again, why did He do that? Because for Jesus, His time had not yet 
come. We have already seen in John's gospel that that miracle that really caused Jesus to then set his face towards Jerusalem as it was in the timing of God. And that was the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And what happened after Lazarus was raised from the dead? Everyone went and told everyone else. But this is a very consistent way of God working. He doesn't always do it so publicly that, that everyone sees. Again, we go back to the salvation of a sinner. Not all of us had some, some moment of salvation uh, that, that we were, were thrown down on the ground and, 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 God, and God saved us in such a way that, that it was visible uh, to, to everyone else. We did not all walk the aisle, so to speak. For some of us, it was just simply sitting in a pew. God showing us our sin and our need of Christ and God giving us the faith we need. Now, what did we do with that afterwards? Well, we then went and told people. And they saw something different, but, but that work was done privately and secretly and that's how God works sometimes in a quiet, hidden way. But then third of all, we, we notice what God Stimulates Again, if you go back to chapter 5, or verse 5, we find the woman going, shutting the door behind her and her sons, and she did exactly what Elisha told her. She was completely obedient to the Word of God. There was no deficiency in her obedience. There are some who state that, that the oil stops flowing because she had a lack of faith. That's not true. God's answer came to her and she acted in faith. She trusted what God said. And that's, again, how God often works. He often pulls us into and catches us up in the process of His supplying the needs of His people. He gives us opportunity to do that as a church, doesn't He? When someone comes in need of help, He, he gives us that opportunity to supply their needs. And many times He makes us participants in what He is doing rather than just spectators. But when God provides, He, he frequently designs not merely to supply our need, but also to build our faith and to spark our obedience. And so this woman and her sons, they do exactly what they were told, and when they ran out of vessels, there was no, not another vessel. Then the oil stopped flowing. And then third and finally, we see God's overflowing kindness. Again, the widow gets all of her cues from Elisha. She gets another one here in verse 7. She came back to Elisha and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts and you and your sons can live on the rest. Go sell the oil, pay off what you owe and then you are able to live. Now what did God do here? He granted abundance far beyond the immediate need. What was her immediate need? Her immediate need was just simply to be able to pay off her creditors. 
But God went a step further. And not only was she able to pay off her creditors, but then she had enough for her and her sons to live on. Now, maybe her sons were young. We don't know. And maybe that they were not yet working age. And so until they could get to that age, they needed uh, some way to live. And God grants this to them. He granted them an abundance. And that's simply God's way of doing more than we ask. Have you ever prayed for something simple and God gives you more than that? He gives you more than you could ever ask. More than, than just meeting a present need, but, but gives you so much that there is no longer a need at all. And so God, in His generosity, gives us more. He gives His people more. And so it is God's practice to do what? To make His goodness overflow to His people. Here we have a a nameless widow, desperate in affliction. Her husband is dead. The creditors are coming to take away her two sons. And she took her desperation to God through Elisha the prophet. And how did God respond? He responded with his goodness to overflowing. He gave her more than she could ever expect. And often, this is how God works for His people. Now, our mind immediately goes where? Well, our mind should immediately go to Christ. Because God has given us in Christ overflowing goodness. Not only has He forgiven our sins, and Paul describes it for us in Romans 5, as God forgives our sins, what do we have? We have peace with God. That is a good thing, isn't it? We, we have peace with God through Jesus. But then Paul goes on, and not only do we have peace with God, but we now have access to the, to the realm of grace, to the throne of grace. And then we have a hope. And that hope is of enjoying God's glory. And, and that's what Paul lays out in Romans 5, 1 and 2. And then in verse 3, he says, because of these things we can then rejoice in our sufferings. As we rejoice in our sufferings, we know that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Why? Because of God's love for us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, God has given us so much more than we ask. We ask, Lord, forgive us of our sins. And He goes beyond that in His goodness and He gives us the glory of the new heavens and the new earth. And so what application can we make? Well, let me ask you, what is your desperation and affliction this morning? What is it? We all, from time to time, we we are desperate. And we see that God's people, even His faithful people, because again, who was this woman's husband? A a prophet, a faithful prophet. And He dies. Just because we follow Jesus faithfully does not mean that affliction will not come to us. 
If affliction does come to you, it does not mean you lack faith. It means you live in a fallen world. And God in His sovereignty has chosen to give that affliction to you, ultimately for His glory and your good. You know, we may find ourselves in a situation like this woman. We, we have a debt we cannot repay, or, or we have a disease that we cannot cure. So how do we respond to that affliction. <clears throat> this will show our, our faith or lack thereof. I think every one of us, we know of people, maybe not in this church, but we know of people in this church, but other churches as well. A great affliction came to them and they, they made the decision to turn from Christ and never worship or follow Him again. Now some argue, well, they lost their salvation. They didn't. They didn't have it to begin with. But that affliction, that desperate moment showed and revealed a heart that truly did not know God nor trust in Jesus. And so they turned from the word of, of life and salvation and turned back to this world. And they, unless they repent and truly come to faith, they will be lost forever. And so what is that desperation you're in this morning? And then second of all, what do you do with it? What do you do with your desperation and affliction? Very simply, follow the example of this nameless widow. She took it to God. Now you might argue, well, she didn't pray to God. Well, she didn't, but she took it to the, the prophet of God who then gave her the word of God. She took her affliction to God through Elisha. She stated her affliction to Elisha and then she saw God work for her good. And so when we are in desperation, that's the only thing we can do. We take that desperation to God. We take it to Him in prayer. And so if you're in desperation this morning, pray. Pray to God. Take that desperation to God and seek His face and, and ask Him to hear and answer your prayer. And we know this, that God answers the prayers of His people as we pray for those things agreeable to His will and through the mediation of Jesus. That God hears and answers us. And when God answers us, what do we see? We see God supplying His people with overflowing kindness. When God blesses His people, we must watch our cup because God tends to make it overflow and then we have a mess of blessing on our hands. This is how God works many times. We ask for one thing, He gives us more than we could ever expect. And then finally, the greatest blessing and kindness that God has given to us is through His Son. It is through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And so do you know of the blessing and kindness that God gives through His Son? If not, you, like this woman, must be obedient to the call of of God that He has given to all men. What is that call? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Oh, and by the way, not only you, but your children, Peter said.
You see, that call is given today. And it is your responsibility to heed that call and come and believe in Jesus. Now, I think many people, when they hear of, of God being sovereign in election, uh, sovereign in, in election and salvation, they, they will try to blame God. Well, you didn't choose me, so I couldn't come. And God will simply remind them that it was their responsibility to come. It's the responsibility of every man to come to Christ in faith and to heed the gospel call that is put before you this morning. And so you'll not be able to blame God. You can only blame yourself. And so you're to put your faith in Jesus as you turn from your sins. And if you do this, then you will know of the blessing and kindness of God that He gives to overflowing through His Son in redemption and salvation. And you see, not only has God given us a reminder of that in His Word this morning, but He also gives us a reminder in a visible, tangible way in the Lord's Supper. If you want to know of the kindness and goodness of God, you know of what is before us this morning. You see, this supper reminds us of what Christ has done for us in His life, death, and resurrection. This supper also shows us what awaits us in the new heavens and the new earth. And guess what? We don't deserve any of that. It is all the grace of God. And so as we come to the table this morning, we come in faith and we, we should come rejoicing. Lord, You have given us more than we ever deserve. You have given us more than we have ever asked. And Your goodness is overflowing to Your people. And so if you are in desperation this morning, come to Christ. Turn to Jesus. Turn from your sin. And believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. May God add His blessing to the reading, hearing, and preaching of His Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning. And thank You that we can be reminded of how we are to come to You. Even, especially in our desperation and affliction. Lord, I pray for any this morning who are in that may be in such a state of, of desperation. Lord, show them their need of Christ and, and bring them to Christ. And if they are in Christ, remind them of the promises. And now you give to us more than we could ever deserve. But Lord, may we now come to this your table, trusting solely in Jesus. And may this be a blessing to us this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.